some of the social media companies need to realize that they need to do more to kind of help both traditional publishers see it as a viable stream, but also kind of new publishers in order to be able to kind of reach these audiences. Welcome to the Media Leader Podcast. I'm Jack Benjamin. More and more people, especially young people, continue to go to social media platforms with the explicit intention of using them for their news consumption. That is especially true of the highly popular short-form video platforms like TikTok and Instagram Reels. But with concerns about misinformation rife, are social platforms good mediums through which to receive accurate news and information? Founded in 2021, the news movement is a social-first news outlet seeking to address such a concern. The company produces short and long-form video news content on platforms like TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, and more. In just a few years, they've racked up nearly 200,000 followers on TikTok and 45,000 followers on Instagram. The company was co-founded by the likes of Sir William Lewis, who is leaving his position as CEO to lead up the Washington Post, as well as former BBC editorial director Kamal Ahmed. Its new CEO, replacing Lewis, is co-founder and president Ramin Beheshti. I sat down with Ramin to discuss how the news movement is progressing both editorially and as a business. We discussed the outlet's content strategy, how it looks to make money through diverse revenue streams, and whether short-form video is inherently a good medium for news presentation. This is that conversation. I hope you enjoy. Well, look, before I get into any questions about the news movement proper, because I have a lot of questions that I'd love to ask, um, I first want to ask a little bit uh, about you. Um, What led you to found the the news movement? Um, What made you interested in getting involved in news media in the first place more broadly, let alone for a social first news outlet? Without going too far back in history, I actually... Uh, was at News... I joined News International uh, uh, coincidentally on the day they closed the News of the World. That was my first uh, foray into news media ever. Uh, I'd previously been a consultant uh, and uh, even though it was quite, I would say, a challenging time at News International, now News UK, uh, I loved it. Uh, I loved the idea that every day you come in with an empty container and have to build a product uh, from it. I've done so many different jobs in uh, news media, first at News International, News UK, and then uh, when I moved to the States for kind of Dow Jones. Um, so so I, I've always enjoyed that aspect of kind of being able to help inform people's lives and almost starting with a blank slate every day and, and setting that agenda. I think that's incredibly exciting. Uh, why did I found the news movement? Look, I, I think it's it's not a particular secret that news media has been uh, slower than it needs to in order to be able to kind of adapt to consumer trends. Being on the product and technology side for the most part of my career, I've been trying to instigate that. But it takes time, right? Like, And it needs kind of an outside event to force that movement. And really, we, we saw this when we were at the Wall Street Journal that, you know, there was this trend that uh, people were consuming news in a completely different way. Uh, and you really had to kind of, I, I think the decision was when we made the news movement was we kind of like actually the only way to to, to go after this uh, from our perspective was to, to build a company from scratch uh, and to really focus and make this the discipline of reaching this audience that doesn't engage with news in the same way that I do or my dad did. Uh, And so that's why we kind of created the news movement. And because there's not enough 
companies doing it or news organizations kind of really uh, servicing this group. There's a lot of kind of well-meaning amateurs who are kind of in the space on social media providing news that isn't kind of the journalistic discipline that we would recognize. Mm. Would you say that those types of, uh, you call them amateurs, um, are they your biggest competition or are other news outlets your competition? Or I suppose it could be both. It's really interesting, right? Like We talk a lot about the fact that uh, competition is everybody who's creating any type of content, anyone who's asking the audience for their attention. And so news doesn't just compete with other news outlets. It competes with every minute that you could be spending your time doing something else, how do I take control of that minute or or make that minute, sorry, that's, that's a bad way of phrasing it, make that minute more worthwhile spending finding out what's going on uh, in your local area, in your country, in the world. That's the competition. I know I didn't answer it directly, but we also have set ourselves up deliberately called a movement because we're actually working with those uh, people who are creating news content for their audiences uh, in a number of different ways. We call them creators. Uh, that's a big thing for us, right? We, we can't solve this problem on our own. We need traditional news to come, but we also need these people who've built great audiences uh, and are connecting with those audiences. We want to work with them as well. Mm. And, and uh, just to sort of, Take a few steps back, and, and for those any anyone who's listening, you know, who's unfamiliar with your brand, how would you actually describe the editorial offering that you're delivering? Yeah, I mean, we've set it out uh, in a way that we want to meet audiences where they are, um, and by that, what we mean is we're on social media, but we're social first, right? All of our content is created for the various social platforms, and then so that's one way of meeting where people, where they are, where they're spending their time, we tend to target younger audiences because that's where we think the the gap is. And the other really critical bit is that we built newsrooms in London and New York that's reflective of those audiences. Um, So we're not trying to kind of talk down to audiences or make people feel stupid when they consume the news. I I don't know anything about that. Uh, shouldn't be the way that you feel when you consume the news. We're trying to take people on a journey, help them understand, give them context, and then doing it in an interesting and entertaining way that makes it as engaging as any other piece of content that they're consuming on social media. That, that I'd say, is the core of our business and has been for the last kind of uh, 18 months to to two years. We've, We've got two, three brands now, the news movement, TNM, uh, we've got the recount, and then we've got capsule. Uh, very different. TNM is more kind of general news, and it's started to now, it helps, especially, I'd say, social natives understand what's going on in the world and do so in a way that uh, is engaging, interesting, and we talk about friends telling friends the, the news. We've kind of focused a bit more on some key verticals over the past couple of months. Uh, reviews, sex and health and well-being. Um, so that's that's been another focus uh, of ours and it's actually worked really, really well. And so that's one brand. We've got the Recount, which is uh, we acquired at the start of this year, which focuses on issues based in the US, particularly around politics, which is, again, social first, 
slightly more kind of next level, if you like. Uh, it's it's kind of for people who are really interested in politics, although we're, we're looking to kind of create more content that's more explanatory. Uh, and then the third one, which we launched in the summer, was Capsule, which is kind of very, very different. It's more magazine feel. It's more targets, again, targeted to younger audiences uh, and really kind of focuses on kind of internet trends, if you like. Mm. I want to ask a little bit more about content strategy just in just a moment. But I, I should note that I think a lot of people, especially for older people that aren't super on social, basically you, you took over recently as CEO of the news movement from Sir William Lewis. And a lot of people uh, in the UK, especially who are familiar with Sir William Lewis, uh, that may have even been the first time that they had heard of the news movement if there aren't on social media. But uh, by the time this episode airs, be his first official days on the job in DC. I'm just curious, could you speak to his contribution to the news movement as its leader, and then what you hope to uh, follow uh, now that he's left, and, and what you hope to do? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know how long we've got to talk about Will's contribution to the news movement. I mean, it's his, he's the original founder. He put this thing together brought in uh, people like myself, um, Kamal Ahmed, to go on this kind of journey. And for the last, I guess, probably now three years since we originally had the idea, uh, we had the original idea, uh, has been building this business both from a news perspective and from a commercial um, perspective. And he leaves it, uh, you know, there's never the, the kind of perfect moment, but he leaves it actually a really interesting point where we've established with the audiences that we're trying to reach we've got a good commercial offering and we're now kind of ready to to go to the next level in terms of our i guess growth uh, both in the us and and the uk and so it's it, it's really exciting for him uh he's continuing that same mission although it will be a, a more established news organization in the Washington Post, but um, he's been, been hugely instrumental to get us to where we are today. Mm. I want to uh, ask a little bit about your commercial uh, uh, business plan, basically. I mean, we, we know that there's a lot of reach on social media, but I is there money? I mean, your investors uh, include Associated Press, National World, um, unnamed high net worth individuals, as far as I can tell. Um, but can you outlearn the longer term business model for me? I mean, how are you actually making money? Is it an ad-funded model? Is it partnerships? Because I think most traditional publishers would say that they use social to grow audience reach, but not necessarily generate revenue. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair for, for traditional publishers. And, you know, it's no different when we were at the journal. Uh, and that's part of the problem, right? Like you're asking people. So if you think about everybody else on social, you're asking people to leave from a news perspective, leave go to another website, log into that website or register or pay to access that content. So that journey just doesn't, it's not going to work for these audiences. They're, they're going to take their news content somewhere else. So how do we make money? Look, we have found numerous ways of making money. Um, the primary of which way is, is partnerships, right? There's a lot of brands out there who are interested in reaching these audiences either through and have stories to tell. And we are helping those brands tell those stories, either on their channels or in partnership uh, with us. It's been, I'd say, relatively lucrative for us. We do um, kind of seven figures of revenue. And we've only really been in existence for uh, 
like you know commercially we've only been in existence since october 2022 so mm. I, th- I feel like we're off to a fast start but we're, we're trying multiple different ways right we're working with creators and we've got a creator relations team that's incredibly important to not only kind of how what we offer to brands but also uh, how we tell our own news content we can't you can't just hear it from the news movement we want we want to work with creators to be able to tell their stories uh, and some of the social platforms are incredibly motivated to have higher quality content coming from their creators when it comes to to news so that's been a, a, a partnership of ours um and then we're experimenting and we've tried different consumer revenue models right like uh tipping uh donations uh we we're using instagram subscriptions like we we're experimenting and seeing what works for which different brand on which different platform there are definitely ways of making money out there on social there wouldn't be a massive creator economy if there wasn't it's just not in the way that traditional media expects to find that revenue which is kind of display advertising or subscriptions mm-hmm. uh that's 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 a mixture of how we've we've made revenue over the first year or so Mm-hmm. And is the commercial uh, decisions, are, is that behind the sort of expansion you mentioned in the types of verticals that you're going after with the news movement in terms of going after more lifestyle or entertainment? Is it because that's also more lucrative? It is, yes. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say, like, we pick verticals that we can't make money from because that would be uh, foolish. But at the core of what we do, our mission every day, the reason that we're able to help brands tell their stories is because we're telling the stories that matter to our audiences. Like journalism and news content will always be at the core of what the news movement does. Um, We might supplement it with some of these other verticals. Again, if you translate it back to traditional publishing, that's not a million miles away from how the Sunday magazines uh, kind of operated, but they were always known for their news content and that's kind of critical and core to how we're kind of thinking and building out the business. Mm. And how much of the content posted is wholly original reporting versus sort of explainers or repackaged uh, content from other news outlets? I mean, is there a lot of real original reporting being done by journalists there, or is it more of a presentation essentially that is quick and uh, targeting young people? It's a mix. Uh, I think I'm really... Actually, I mean, it's a great time to do this podcast. I'm really proud of some of our original reporting. It is, I think, you know, and I come from institutions like the Times and the, the Journal, and I think some of the stuff that we're doing is as good as anything that we I saw there. It's really uh, fantastically done. We just did a 20-minute documentary on the Nova Festival and what happened on October the 7th and talking to some of the people who both survived there and who have relatives who are still sadly hostages uh, there. It's a really difficult space for any news organization to to navigate. And we sent one of our reporters out to uh, Israel to, to, to kind of report firsthand and speak to people firsthand. We've just done a documentary or a news story, a longer news story on Trank uh, tourism in uh, uh, Philadelphia, uh, which is all about kind of the fact that people are recording people on this kind of quite lethal a uh, dangerous drug and putting it on social and then generating money from from that. So, you know, they're two stories that we released last week and we've got quite a few other ones to come. So that's a, that's a huge part of what we do. Uh, we've done stories for the UK audience about Grenfell and the kind of housing conditions that have existed post the, the Grenfell disaster. So there's definitely 
original reporting is a core part, but a lot of what we do day to day is helping people understand what's going on in the world, right? And I think if you, the way that we talk about it is that, you know, tr- a generalized statement on news is it tends to start on series five, episode three. So if you don't know about subject, you're like, uh, what's happening? We try to start on season one, episode one, and help people understand what's happening. So I'll give you an example of like very, very early on when we knew we were onto something was when Russia invaded Ukraine. You know, the news story was about Russia invading Ukraine. We started with where is Ukraine? Because actually we saw people going like, like, you know, I don't know, right? I don't know the history of the Soviet Union, uh, et cetera. I don't know the context in which all of this is happening. And so, so helping people navigate those big stories in a different way is incredibly important to what we do day to day. But original reporting, and again, you've caught me a good moment. We've we've got a lot of original stories uh, coming up that we're, we're incredibly proud of, and you know, have uh, we did um, a piece on uh, in Syria that won awards, where we kind of interviewed a few of the the people that had joined ISIS and their journey and story. Um, so we're really proud of that, and that's an incredibly important part of what we do. This episode of the Media Leader Podcast was edited by our production partner, Trisonic. For a full range of audio, media buying, and creative services, including podcast production, check out trisonic.co.uk. Social media, more broadly, has come under the microscope for, I mean, many years, really, for its capacities to spread misinformation. Do you worry at all that, you know, even though you might be doing really fantastic reporting that your social first association will mean that some individuals are more skeptical or less trustworthy of the brand because that's where it lives? Yeah, I mean, look, the reason we're on social is because of the misinformation crisis on social. There's a lot of companies, when we started this, a lot of companies were kind of pointing out misinformation, um, which is a very noble and worthwhile thing to do on social uh, media. Our point was how can we flood the zone with actually high quality content that's produced for social to also tackle that misinformation crisis. And this goes back to, we're not doing this on our own. Uh, We need to partner and work with the social platforms, the creators who are creating news content, traditional media. Like that is the, the, I guess, the mission of the news movement to, to kind of position itself at the the center of that ecosystem. So do I worry about, I mean, look, wherever we appear, we're going to have that thing thrown at us. The other key part of our content strategy, which actually I haven't touched upon is, especially on TNM, is that kind of non-partisan, unbiased view, which is very, very, very difficult to achieve. But it's what we're, it's at the heart of what we do is try and give a balance of opinions uh, and provide context. So uh, people are always going to accuse us, but it doesn't mean that we should avoid that space because actually that's what's happening on traditional publishing. What are the processes by which you might fact check, especially I, mean, I imagine working with creators? You know, you, you, there needs to be some sort of editorial guidance. That I can point out a few instances just having reviewed uh, some of the videos that that you put out in the past two, three weeks, um, where I would describe the language used as slightly inaccurate or maybe a little bit misleading. Um, I can name just a few examples. Mainly, uh, there's a video titled, Who is Alexei Navalny? Which was posted on the 16th of December, which is clearly meant to be a brief, minute-long educational video about who Alexei Navalny is. 
Um, and the video says he was quote unquote allegedly poisoned in 2020. That's not, it wasn't alleged. I mean, it, it was confirmed by the Bundeswehr Institute of Pharmacology and Toxicology scientists that there's unequivocal proof that he was poisoned with the nerve agent Novichok. There was a, another example I saw. I think this one was is actually pinned as of the recording uh, of the interview uh, called Why is Stranger Things Noah Schnapp Facing Backlash? Relates, obviously, to the Israel-Hamas war um, when the presenter describes Hamas as, quote, the Palestinian militant group that attacked an Israeli music festival on October 7th, killing more than 1,200, unquote. I note the script refers to Hamas as a militant group rather than a terrorist organization, which it is considered by the U.S., U.K., EU, Canada, Australia, Paraguay, I think, and Israel. Um, at worst, that information should be included, even if the news movement doesn't, for whatever reason, want to itself call it a terrorist organization. And the BBC has come under a lot of fire in the U.K. for this, and I'm sure you've seen that. And uh, another thing as well is that Hamas did not, of course, just attack the Supernova Music Festival. As, I, as, as it was referenced, but that it also launched a, a broad invasion of uh, the Israeli territory adjacent to the Gaza Strip. Um, so I'm so focusing entirely on the music festival rides, a, a little bit of a misleading picture, at least in my opinion, of, of what occurred. You know, I, I don't point out these issues just to like nitpick the, the journalistic practice of the news movement, because I've actually, I've watched dozens of videos uh, ahead of this interview, and they are by and large extremely well-researched and produced. What I am concerned with is one, how you fact check especially if you're working with creators outside of your own newsroom. Um, and also the fact that short form video does not necessarily strike me as a format that allows for the most holistic presentation of news, especially on topics that require a really high degree uh, of detail and nuance because you have such a short amount of time, usually a minute or less to sprint through such complicated issues. So I imagine if given like five seconds more time, you could you know, say a little bit more about is, you know, Israel and Hamas conflict or Navalny, uh, his biography. I mean, you could flesh out that with, with more time. So I guess the question I want to ask you is twofold. One, how, what, what processes are in place for creators uh, to work with the newsroom and to make sure all the information is being checked is, is fully accurate? And then two, is short form video a good medium for news presentation full stop? Yeah, I mean, look, every newsroom, I think if you went back and looked at all of their material, uh, you could, as you say, pick holes in certain terminology and certain things that we use. We're always striving to get better. We're a relatively new news organization, and so we're kind of learning, and the feedback is appreciated, and we will always try to get better. In terms of how we work with creators, it depends on the nature of the kind of relationship. Anything that's put out under our kind of banner and name, if you like, kind of goes through the same editorial process that all of our content uh, goes through. And I appreciate the fact that you said that uh, uh, a lot of our content is accurate and, and, and on point. Um, but that's how we do it. On, with on the other side, where we're working with creators, where they're producing their content, is to help them understand the, the practices and how to go about researching and how to go about actually fact-checking triangulating sources, et cetera, before being able to publish news. So there's kind of two different uh, models. We're not going to come and edit everything that a creator puts out on their channel. It kind of, again, it becomes a behemoth news organization saying, no, 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 we're, we're, we're having them with us. We're giving them access to the resources that we've got access to. We're showing them how to make those trade-offs and calls and then helping them produce their content. And that's on their their channels. If they're working with us, they we go through the same kind of editorial standards and practices that anyone in our newsroom would go before we're able to kind of publish a story. Do I think short form 
videos are an effective way of getting things across. Without answering it flippantly, maybe this is a flippant answer, it's as good as the headline, or it's better to me than the headline and the first paragraph, which on a 2,000-word article, that's what someone sometimes will read and form an opinion and make a decision off the back of that. And I think you can get more interesting and engaging information across that people can consume in a minute. However, you're totally right. For some complex subjects, you can only get so much information across in a minute, 30 seconds, three minutes, depending on the, the, the thing. We're also focused, and I think we need to do better here on taking people on an onward customer journey, or an onward journey, sorry, remove the word customer. But like, hey, look, if you didn't know about this subject, if I can give you a minute of information so that you actually understand more than you did a minute ago, where else can you now go to get even more information? It might be a web article, it might be a longer form piece of video that immerses you in that subject. But the idea is not to leave the person going, okay, right, well, I think I now understand it, but I don't know where else to kind of go. So we're trying to take people on a journey rather than going, you know, and again, there's nothing wrong with a 2000 word, uh, well-written, well-researched article for certain audiences, that is perfect. But it's not for every audience. And so how do we get this content to engage with these guys and give the information that they need in order to be able to then make a decision about an onward journey? Mm. I appreciate the the pragmatism in that. I mean, I think um, social media has uh, also come under fire from more traditional publishers, not just related to misinformation, but for, for dep- deprecating their support for news on their platforms. And I'm curious how that's affected you guys, if at all. Um, are you cons- are, you know, Has your business been impacted by a, a lack of recommendation and algorithm, or are you still finding that it's been totally fine uh, this year? It's, it's funny, because we've only been around a year and a bit, I think we kind of miss the wave of, so we don't know any different, right? Like mm. in terms of the company's uh, memory, it's kind of like, the, the and we built audiences. What I find fascinating, and are huge differences between the the social media companies in terms of how they want and treat news. Some, like Snap, for example, are really leaning into the space, um, and they've been a fantastic uh, partner. I think others kind of want to bury their heads in the sand a little bit and hope that it's not happening on their platform. But yet, even despite kind of pulling back from uh, having news content on their platform or supporting news, it's prevalent, right? Whether it's official kind of like well-researched, well-reported uh, news or that kind of uh, slightly more ad hoc type news approach, it's happening on their platforms. And so I think some of the social media companies need to be told, need to to, to realize that they need to do more to kind of help both traditional publishers see it as a viable stream, but also kind of new publishers in order to be able to kind of reach these audiences. I will say I don't subscribe to the lean back approach of, well, you know, you've come in and you disrupted our business model and therefore you need to help us. That's not where I sit on it. I think that the news industry needs to do more in order to be able to innovate and find ways of connecting with audiences, find ways of generating, which they are doing, but I think it's kind of on both sides, if you like. But I, I do find some of the social media companies who've pulled back, I think it's amusing because they're the platforms where news is most prevalent still, even despite trying to 
to kind of uh, quash it. Mm, yeah, people still go to the likes of Facebook or Instagram for news, even if Meta doesn't want to be known for for being a news uh, uh, provider, let's say. They would never call themselves a publisher, I'm sure. No. Um, in terms of looking forward, I mean, you know, you're, you're still pretty new to the job. What does the future of the news movement look like? Uh, you mentioned that you acquired the recount just in the past year. I'm curious, are there other M&A targets or, or other ways that you're looking to expand the business um, that we can look forward to that you're considering? What does is, what is, what is the next year or year or two look like? Like notwithstanding the fact that we can always improve and, you know, you called out a few things that, that we need to look at, or, but I feel like we're hitting our stride from our content uh, a year and a half into producing content. Our audiences continue to grow. Our engagement continues to grow. I know that feels like it might be easier on social, but it's something you cannot take for granted. And not only just the followers, but the views that we get month on month are continuing to grow. We, and, and the way they engage with it, they like, comment, share. That's really important to, to the future of our business. So I feel like we're in a, a strong position there. And then commercially, I mean, look, in a market that we exist in, uh, in 2023, to be able to hit our number, to be able to kind of do seven figures of, of revenue, to have clients who, while I can't talk about them, are, are blue chip companies who are not only kind of, uh, happy with the work that we're doing today, but asking us to come and do more and take on more with them as we go into 2024, that's incredibly exciting. So I kind of feel like the foundations for the news movement as a whole are strong. Uh, and I, again, going back to the uh, to Will, and I feel like he's, he's leaving us in the best possible position. Uh, and I'm kind of excited to be able to step into it and take a bit of the credit <laughs> um, for it. Um, and then look, We've always kind of operated slightly differently than a traditional startup, if you like. We've had bigger. We've always had a bigger ambition. It's why we purchased the recount. We've got really interesting strategic partners and strategic conversations about how you could accelerate this, what we've done much quicker and grow it much quicker, both in terms of types of content, but then also in terms of kind of regionality as well, right? Like um, how can you get... We're currently US, UK focused. Uh, how can you get to more locations um, swifter? And they're also incredibly exciting. And it might mean acquisition, it might mean joint ventures, uh, but all of those as we go into 2024 it is really exciting. So I guess, how do I feel about it? I feel that the next one or two years for the news movement is we've really got to continue to prove out the commercial model. I would love to find more ways of connecting with the end consumer. Uh, and the thing about any media company in 2024, traditional or new, you cannot rely on one revenue stream, right? A lot of what we see, um, who I would say are in our space, they've got one way of making money and we're hell bent on creating multiple different revenue sources. So that's that's a that's a key focus. Uh, but then it's about how do we continue to produce and create the content that we are for the audiences on a much kind of larger scale. And that could be all through organic audience growth. And that's definitely a key part of what we're doing. But it also could be about other brands, other titles coming in and then kind of mimicking the 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 ways of working that have proved successful for our brands. Mm. 
Can you speak a little bit more about those other types of revenue streams? I mean, are you, are you looking at getting in the podcasting space or, or I mean, because a lot of times that does involve bringing in do, new different types of content, not just, you know, a new commercial way of thinking. A hundred percent. I think I touched upon some of the consumer revenue things that we're trying around yeah. tipping uh, donations. But actually, we do have a podcast in the UK. It's called Noted. Uh, we're about halfway through its kind of production. We partnered with a, a fairly major podcast producer called Persephonica, who's been a great partner. And it is, you hit the nail on the head. It's a totally different type of editorial content. But again, why did we do podcasts? Like in all of our conversations, where's the audience, right? Are we seeing socially native audiences on Pod, uh, listening to podcasts, 100%. Therefore, we have an, a mission to be able to produce content for those audiences. Is it a way of making money? 100%. So the two fit quite nicely. And that's a lot of how we kind of uh, think about. So yes, we'll continue to, to try different things, including, again, the platform's ways of enabling you to make money, which is kind of through ad revenue sharing. But they've also continue to develop uh, different mechanisms to allow people to kind of contribute money to you. And they're all innovating. And actually, from my perspective, TikTok was a great thing in the, in the sense of it's forced all of those social platforms to think about how they work with people who are producing content on those platforms. Mm, mm. And I should note, so that you're a social first platform, not, not social only, right? You, you, there's social. there's more to it than just posting on Instagram and TikTok and Snap and right. all the other places that you post. All um, the other places, yeah. <laughs> we've, also, we've also got our own websites. The Recal's got its own website. Yeah. The news group. Again, it's, a, it's more about meeting people where they, where they are in what they understand and how they like to consume information and where they're spending their time. Mm. I've only got uh, time for one more question with you. Um, and I, we, we like to ask this of all of the people that we interview, and, and that is, why are you passionate about media? I know you spoke at the top a little bit about your background and and sort of what drew you to founding the news movement, but broadening out even further, why do you love doing what you do? <laughs> um, most of the time, I love what I do. Uh, everybody's <laughs> got, uh, I think on a positive and a negative, everybody's got an opinion about what you do. You've got an opinion about the way that we've covered certain news stories. It's very out there, right? You never turn up to a dinner party or a conversation with friends and they're like, I don't know what you do. You're like, look, this is what we do. That's the kind of, I guess, the egotistical part of why I enjoy it, right? I'd say the kind of, the the core of what gets me out, like it, it shapes everything else that happens. The way that we consume news, the way that we understand what is happening in the world, both at a local, national and global level, shapes the decisions that people make and like that to me is an incredibly worthwhile thing to try and find the right formula that allows those businesses to operate as businesses without necessarily uh, kind of undue influence and then also helps to people to understand what's going on in the world like I couldn't think of a better way to spend my time Thank you for listening to the Media Leader Podcast. This episode was edited by our production partners, Trisonic. You can find and listen to all our episodes on our website at themedialeader.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts. But just remember, please do subscribe to be notified when we release our next episode. From all of us at The Media Leader, I'm editor Omar Oaks. Our executive producer is Jack Benjamin. See you next time.